2: It's Rick Tittle!
3: All righty then. <laughs> We're still on a broken microphone. <laughs> Rick Tittle with you, coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Great to be back with you. As I was off the last six shows, all of last weekend, yesterday. My thanks to Dominic Jimenez, who, as always, filled in, did a tremendous job. And um, but I'm back in the saddle again. And I don't know the rest of the song, or even if it goes like that. Anyway, <clears throat> great to be with you again and um, taking your calls from around this great land of ours at the toll-free line, 1-800-878-PLAY, 1-800-878-7529. That's what will get you in and get you heard girl, as we talk sports. And the great thing about this show on Sports Byline, Is I'm so great. Now, is that I'll talk about any sport that you would like? What do you mean? Well, it's not how we sound Rick. football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, boxing, Olympics, Quidditch, rollerball, chess, checkers, rugby, cricket, all of that stuff. And as I mentioned, we'll do it on the toll-free line, 1-800-878-PLAY, 800 878 7529 and we will talk sports with you around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. We are here for you as well. Big shout out to our brave men and women who uh, keep us safe. And they allow us to do this frivolity and mirth. That is to wring our hands over MLB and uh, everything else going on. And that's the other thing to know, too, uh, is that um, we, uh, we had a big trade while I was gone. Juan Soto to the... Uh, Padres, a lot of things that went down while I was out we need to uh, talk about. But uh, I was in the, uh, the last week in uh, Colorado Springs, so I'll tell you a little bit about what I did there because it's really all about me. I went to two Hall of Fames while I was there. You did? Yeah, I did. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
4: How do you make the most of your land? If you ask the Wrens, who run with us on a John Deere mower, they tell you...
5: I mow
6: first, then I do all the trimming...
4: But the Hubbards, who work behind the wheel of a John Deere compact tractor, would say... If it's something you want, just go after it and try it. Then there's the Mosers, who may mention from the seat of their John Deere Gator UTV... You can't be all working up play. There are millions of ways to make the most of your land. Learn how to make the most of yours at Deer.com. Nothing runs like a deer.
1: 485-6003-80-485-6003. That's 80-485-6003.
8: No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How would you like to learn the secrets to lose three to five pounds a week easily without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? It's called Body Sculpt by Med Diet. Call right now to learn more about your risk free order to Body Sculpt.
1: Call for your risk free offer. 800 738 5332. 800 738 5332. 800 738 5332. That's 800 738 5332.
3: All right, thank you for that, and uh, welcome back to the show. 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call. 1-800-878-7529. Is this a rerun? Well, if it ain't August, what is it, 9th, then it, yeah, it is a rerun. If it's August 9th, then No it's live. Come on in and get heard live on Sports SportsPilot. <clears throat> so, for various, uh, as Ralph Barbier used to say, various and sundry reasons, uh, I was in uh, Colorado Springs, uh, not Denver. I have no desire to go to Denver, although I did have to use the Denver airport last night at 11 o'clock at night. <clears throat> but um, I just flew in and boy are my arms tired. But <laughs> I uh, mentioned that I got to go to a couple of Hall of Fames. One of them is the Rodeo Hall of Fame because I was running out of things to do. Uh, which is actually kind of fascinating because every single person who's in it has like three little artifacts about them, Um, which reminds me a little bit of the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think about the Hall of Fames I've been to now. Uh, I've been to Cooperstown. I've been to Canton. um, I've been to – what was the other one? Well, anyway, (laughs) the Rodeo Hall of Fame. And I also went to the Olympic Hall of Fame, which was – uh pretty cool um as well I'll get to that in a second but the rodeo hall of fame it would have it was mostly like you know you have like a black and white picture of yourself and then there'll be like your saddle or like your winchester or a little belt buckle something like that and it would tell the story of a man named Brady who was raising three lovely girls on his own no that's Carol all right but i uh, i thought would i recognize any name in the rodeo hall of fame Because I've interviewed everybody in every sport, but when it comes to rodeo, that's definitely, I can count on one hand. But I just thought, is anybody so famous that they transcended rodeo? And there were two names. One was Gene Autry, and I didn't even read why he was in it. I just figured because he was famous movie star and then baseball owner of the Angels, right? But there was one guy I saw, and that was Walt Garrison. Walt Garrison was a star running back at Oklahoma State, and then he played like seven, eight, nine years in the NFL till he did his knee. But he was the guy who had the national commercials for smokeless tobacco and, like, skull, and he'd go, just put the packet in between your cheek and gums. Have a little of that between your cheek and gums. But I did read his story. Apparently, rodeo was his whole life. He just so happened to be really good at football. And he told Tom Landry, look, I'm still going to do rodeo because that's my true love. And Tom Landry said, you can do it except before the night before a game. (laughs) The night before a game. And as soon as his career was over, he went right back to rodeo again. That was his whole, that was the love of his life. The love of his life was rodeo. And... So, you know, that place was, uh, it was all right. The Olympic Hall of Fame, because Colorado Springs is the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center, they have a beautiful, brand-new, crazy, futuristic spaceship of an edifice downtown uh, building in Colorado Springs. And it's almost like some kind of weird ex-Machina thing where you come in and they're like, welcome, and there's like some tall six-foot guy or girl wearing the Olympic stuff and they give you this like lanyard to wear with this plastic little card on it and you're supposed to register. And then whenever you stand, it would say welcome and it wouldn't show your name and it would, you know, ask your preferences. It was, you know, very weird, but it was cool to see all the Olympic. Wow. Well, I can't say flames, whatever that holds the flame, the candlestick, <laughs> To see all of those. And then you could press a button and watch it. And the one that, the two that I wanted to see again, one was Barcelona in 92, where the guy shot the arrow, uh, the flaming arrow up into the cauldron, which would never happen in America because that would hit someone and it'd be a lawsuit. Um, And the other was Moscow 80. I actually had a Moscow 80 shirt. I bought it, my parents bought it for me at the mall at Snowden Mize at the Hilltop Mall in Richmond, California because we were excited about the Olympics. And uh, now Carter boycotted. And the athletes became pawns of the Cold War and Carter later admitted that was his biggest mistake. Invading Afghanistan, ironic enough, we were supplying all the weapons to the Mujahideen and Osama bin Laden. Okay, we'll get into that later. Or not. But I remember seeing the Greenspan film because, remember, the U.K. didn't boycott, which irked uh, Carter very much. And they're like, why would we boycott? I've had Edwin Moses on this show who was going to literally walk to another hurdle's gold. He would get to do it. He had to wait eight years in between. <clears throat> and I just remember on that flame, the guy, they, the people in the crowd held up these like boards above their head and the guy would step on it and then they would immediately pull a board down. So it looked as if he was running on the heads of everyone. It was really cool. And so I hadn't seen that in years and years, so I wanted to see that. Uh, it's very interactive because it's so modern, super modern. You could try doing archery with this very elaborate kind of giant plastic bow and arrow thing on a video screen. You could do a luge, which... Wasn't thrilling, but you kind of lay on this board and the video screen goes down. I thought it'd be more thrilling. You could hold on to these fake ski poles and do, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, downhill skiing, which I thought would be cool. It's a little slow. I mean, they it's not for like hardcore gamers. It's for like old people and children and and uh, weirdos to do. What's a weirdo, Rick? I'll move on. Um, it had all these Olympic medals from every Olympics and it had Jesse Owens medals and his, they were teeny tiny little things. They're almost like silver dollars. And it's the only Olympics where they were so teeny. Um, They had a miracle on ice thing. They had Michael Ruzioni's Jersey, had Jim Craig's Jersey. They had Jim Craig's gold medal. They had Jim Craig's goalie mask. They had a lot of that, which was really cool. Um, I also went to the air force Academy. I'm a proud graduate now. I went there uh, as a uh, visitor, and um, not super impressed. Well, first of all, it's a no offense to the Air Force Academy. It's built in 1954, so it doesn't have the old school uh, old school uh, tradition of um, you know uh, West Point and Annapolis, obviously Army Navy. But they just kind of let you into a gift shop, is what they do, and that's fine. But at West Point, when I went they had a museum that would rival the Imperial War Museum and had every weapon on Earth, and it was just, I don't know, it was much more immersive. The Air Force Academy was like, hey, how you doing? Get out. Had my car searched. I understand that, you know, just in case I was carrying a, a bomb or something, uh, which I wasn't. But I also um, did something I'll talk about a little bit later in the show because I have to get into the, uh, the dramatic <laughs> description of it. I did something called the Manitou Incline, <clears throat> Which was uh, not fun. Uh, I went to. Um, I'm a friend of the Pioneer League. I visited them uh, two years ago. Idaho Falls last year. Boise this year. Colorado Springs. I'm making my way around the Pioneer League. As I said, I am a a friend of the league. And um, and the Pione- the Colorado Springs. Uh, they're called the Rocky Mountain Vibes. They used to be the Colorado Springs. Rockies, they were AAA for the Rockies forever. Then they were the Brewers. They were the Sky Sox, and then you know the the I said the combine. The um, pandemic killed everything. So there's an independent league team playing in a AAA stadium, which is and they got big crowds too. Colorado Springs is like 600,000 people. It's the second biggest city in the in the state. But when we come back, we will talk to actress Marie on the other side.
10: Diesem Land habe ich Treue geschworen, bin geboren in der Pfalz. Ich lieb dich nun mal, jeden Berg, jedes Tal, Heimatland, du mein schönes Pfälzerland.
7: The best way to make sure your CPAP equipment is clean is to get new supplies. If you have Medicare, we have great news. Medicare will pay for you to have new clean supplies every 90 days. We'll even do all the paperwork for you to make sure that there's little to no out-of-pocket cost to you. And you don't even have to leave your home. We provide free in-home delivery. So if you're a CPAP user and you have Medicare, staying healthy with new CPAP equipment is easy. Just make this
1: free phone call. Call right now to get started. Sponsored by Specialty Medical. 800-913-9739. 800-913-9739. 800-913-9739. That's 800-913-9739.
2: I'm not insightful enough to be a movie critic. Maybe I could be a food critic. These muffins taste bad. Or an art critic. That painting is bad.
11: I'm so disgusted by Rick Tittle that I find him very intoxicating.
3: All right, thank you for that, and uh, welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show the lovely and talented actress, Say Marie. She is in a new movie called Movers Ultimate, and uh, it will be opening in 10 days on the 19th, and uh, this will be on... uh, digital say welcome to the uh, the show and um i had the uh your director and writer ben rude on the other day is is that as you find as an actress is it good to work with somebody who's like controlling the whole thing and does it make the collaborative effort work more smoothly
9: hi thank you so much for having me um yes we had a very cool and unique experience with this movie Um, Because we we actually filmed in September 2020. So this is what we call a pandemic film in the business. (laughs) Um, So even more so to that regard that you just spoke about, um, we actually all lived on set for about two, some of them, two and a half months. Um, So every member of the cast, every member of the crew, Ben, the director, everybody that was involved in the film producing-wise, Everybody lived on set. We all lived um, in this giant mansion of a house that the film takes place in, which was um, very, very amusing and entertaining and something that you don't get in the business anymore. Um, they're continuing to do pandemic films still. They're called bubble sets. But um, it, was, it was actually a lot of fun. And Ben was not, um, he was not one of those directors that really, you know, put the hammer down hard. He actually encouraged us as actors to improvise a lot. And he would have us do what was on the page first a few times. And then he would basically let us, you know, do uh, the most ridiculous thing we could think of as he would put it. And funny enough, those are usually the takes that ended up in the film. All of those. So,
3: well, that's a That's <laughs> That a...
9: lended to uh, how loud and ridiculous it is. <laughs>
3: Well, that's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, what What was the cabin fever like? Who got on your new nerves? Who got on somebody else's nerves? And was there a, was was there a massive meltdown?
9: I can't answer that. Come on. Um, no, no, not at all. Um, actually, I think that it translated very well on screen. Us all spending that much time together and being that close together, and thankfully the the house we were staying in was quite large so it was large enough that if somebody needed some privacy or just didn't want to be social they they had always had somewhere to go that they could go um but no we uh we got along great as a cast actually and every night we had a tradition where after we would wrap no matter what time it was uh jeff colada our dp would go eat dinner while putting dailies together, and the rest of the cast would eat dinner together while playing um, I think it's called Quiplash. There's this game that you can play from your phones onto the TV, and we would all do that um, for a few hours, and that was some great bonding time, and then afterwards we would all go to the screening room of the house and watch the dailies, which was an experience that you usually don't ever get on a film set unless um unless specifically requested but um we had the the privilege of being able to watch the dailies every single day which just got us even more excited for the next day so no there were no uh no butting heads at all um sean knox one of the leads he hurt his back at one point so that was really the only thing that happened that wasn't according to plan so he had to uh get some, some treatment while on set. But luckily, Annalise Porman, who plays my mother in the film, she's also a licensed massage therapist, so she helped him with that. We didn't need to break our bubble at all.
12: <laughs> it was a lot of fun.
3: Did you ever feel like you were, I mean, were there boyfriends and girlfriends that wanted to come visit? How did that work? And did you ever feel you were like some kind of movie cult?
9: <laughs> it definitely... Um, that's so funny how you put that. Um yeah, it definitely felt like there was no outside world that existed at one point. But um no, everybody understood the rules and everybody was most people were far away from home, so that type of thing wasn't possible. Nobody could come visit. Um we filmed in Cincinnati, Ohio because of the location that was needed. That was just where in the world, Ben found what he needed, but it was chosen randomly um, based on the house itself. And everybody, you know, either flew or drove in from all over the country, actually. So uh,
3: uh, Yeah. No, we're speaking. I, I thought you were still going there. Sam Reed joins us. The new movie Movers is coming out on the uh, 19th digital um, so what's it like to wait two years with a movie in the can? I'm sure people are like, what happened to that movie? People are probably <laughs> bugging you, and you're like, we're waiting.
9: Actually, no, that's pretty typical. Um, I have other films that I've done that are, are you know, in post-production even longer than that. So two years is um, pretty typical, especially for an independent film that's not um, produced or financed by a studio. Studios have the ability to fast track because of larger budgets and so forth. But usually, um, yeah, it surprises a lot of people that I talk to that aren't in the film industry to learn that, you know, from writing, which on average probably takes a year to write a movie, if if not, a lot longer than that. Um, Pre-production takes six months to a year. Then you actually have to film it, which at minimum will take a few months. And then post-production usually takes a year, which is the editing and getting everything together. And then um, it can take up to a year to market it. And, you know, we just had our premiere, our big national premiere, and finally get it out on the streaming platforms or wherever your distribution is. So this is pretty typical, actually. Um, It feels like yesterday that we filmed it, Mm -hmm. and I I can't believe that it's been two years, actually. (laughs) I'm very, very excited for it to come out and for the world to see it. It was very, very well received at the premiere, and people are still talking about it.
3: Well, that's great. That Bef- night, b- before so. we let you go, tell us what I'm it's really tell us what it's about, please.
9: Movers Ultimate, um, as I put it, is I feel like it's a 1990s style comedy film um, in the vein of like two best bros work for a moving company. And their mission is to get through this nightmare move they have that day at jobs that they hate, dead-end jobs, um, because they want to get to their 10-year high school reunion that night because the girls that got away are going to be there, and they just want to let off some steam, and they, their mission is to not miss this reunion. But, of course, on the day, they get stuck with this move from hell that uh, tries to keep them from getting there, and there are a lot of antics and shenanigans that happen along the way.
3: What is uh, your role in the film and what is your favorite part of the movie?
9: Oh, good question. I play Susan. I play the daughter of the family that they are moving. Um, And my favorite part of the film, (laughs) I don't want to give a spoiler, Mm -hmm. but I will say this, there is a scene towards the end of the film where something happens that they've been hoping wouldn't happen all day long, and it finally happens. And it was my favorite scene to film because uh, Ben was just like, create chaos. And by that point, I think it was our our last or second... To last scene that we actually filmed in, during the filming process. And so by that point, we all had been in and lived in these characters for so long that no scripting was needed, no dialogue was needed. Ben would just do a take on each person and say, react how your character would react. And it was just so funny. Most of it ended up getting cut because, uh, for time's sake, but there are little, little snippets of how people reacted in that scene, and, and that is definitely my favorite one. So when, when you see the movie, you'll know which scene I'm talking about.
3: <laughs> Good stuff from St. Marie. <laughs> no she is in the film Movers Ultimate. I hate moving, and this is available, as she mentioned, on digital platforms on August 19th. Say Thank you for coming on, and congratulations on the movie.
9: Thank you so, so much for having me.
3: No doubt. And, uh, you know, I think about uh, 90s style comedies. <clears throat> and I think of like, you know, Waiting, like something like that. Or, you know, I think of like Ryan Reynolds <laughs> and uh, some of those more like bro comedy things like that. But uh, I think, too, when you wait two years and then you show a movie and it gets well-reviewed. Now, it might have been a bringer show at the debut. That's a term in comedy where you bring the audience, and so everybody's going to laugh because you bring your family and friends say so please laugh but um, that's got to be fulfilling to work on something that long and then everybody go, eh, forget it and just stomp on it, be like, that'll be it Alright, I'm Rick Tittle, we'll come back with Karen Lyle on the other side, right here on Sports Bar oh, yeah. The big
10: stuff Love. Now because you wear all those
13: This is Karen Lyle of Sport Talk with news from Cell and an on-location interview. Tom Slingsby’s Australian CellGP team have lost their winning streak to their mates from across the ditch New Zealand. New Zealand has claimed their first ever SailGP title at the Grand Britain SailGP. The Australians nearly didn't make it to the final race against New Zealand and Denmark after the team suffered catastrophic damage to their rudder during the fourth fleet race, which required it to be completely replaced ahead of the final qualifying race in a pit lane miracle turnover. Here's what Tom Slingsby has to say about the race.
14: Second place for the Aussies today, but definitely a very eventful last day of racing. Um, can you talk us through, I guess, some of the challenges you guys had in the lead-up to that final race? Yeah, it was uh, definitely eventful. Um, in uh, the first race of the day, um, we were in pretty good position. I think we were second place, and uh, we broke our rudder, and then uh, we sort of were able to limp across the finish line. Fortunately, it happened late in the race, and we were able to finish. Then there was a race against the clock to try to... Um, get a new rudder in the boat for the final fleet race of the day Um, and our shore team did an amazing job and the tech team also assisting them they were able to do a a rudder change in about 10 minutes which would usually take probably 30 plus minutes to do and they were able to do it in 10 minutes so a huge um, thank you to those guys and because of that we were able to sail in the final fleet race we're able to make the final and uh, get a great result. Get, come away from Plymouth with a second place, which is um, it's huge for our team. And Kiwi's taking their first win ever in South GP. Um, do you think that was well-deserved by them? Yeah, extremely well-deserved by the Kiwi team. Uh, New Zealand sailed amazing all week and uh, might come as a bit of a shock to some people watching, but uh, I think every team here knows how deserving they are. They're, they've been performing really well in training. They've been knocking on the, the door for... A, a podium race final, but even an event win for quite a long time. So, yeah, they deserved it, and uh, full congratulations to them. Would you say, off the back of this, New Zealand now one of the top dogs? Are they a threat to the Aussies for future events? Uh, 100% and the Kiwis are a big threat to Australia moving forward. Um, They're obviously improving all the time. And, uh, yeah, I think their momentum's going in the right way and uh, I expect to see them winning more events and uh really being a full contender to make that final um the final million dollar race at the end of the year so they're going to be a big threat
13: thank you tom this is karen lyle of salesport talk on sports byline
3: All right, thank you for that, and welcome back to Sports Byline. It is Tuesday. We always check in with uh, Karen Lyle, and we do have a guest coming up. But uh, first, Karen, it's good to talk to you again. Are you down in uh, the British Virgin Islands still?
13: No, I am back in the San Francisco Bay Area, and here talking to you on Salesport Talk.
3: Let's bring in our guest. It is Rob Wallett, the Bellamante Racing Project Manager, here to talk about the Maxi Yacht Rolex Cup, which is going to be happening in sardinia in september rob welcome to the show that's pretty cool to get to sardinia you're going to be staying in cagliari uh
15: actually on the the direct opposite side of the island we're up uh, to the northern side in a place called porto Cervo, which is uh north of olbia and it's um it's a very different uh very different and very authentically sardinian place um and you know, it's an annual event for us, and we love going back there every year. It's it's where the the best yachts in yachting end up every September, and we're looking forward to it.
13: So, Rob, I understand you're on an island trying standing on the highest
15: point to get some reception for us. <laughs> where are you? <laughs> I'm actually on a small island called Cuddyhunk, uh, which is the southernmost island in the Elizabeth Chains on the east coast, and we're trying to bring our boat back from a bit of a holiday today and it's been blowing from the southwest about 30 knots for three days and we decided that it was a more pretty another night so, <laughs> so here we are
3: so uh rob tell us about the the bellamente that's the boat right
15: yes uh the bellamente is a is a boat team partner's designed boat we built it in 2018 for hap South, who's a three-time world champion and uh two-time offshore champion, um, also a, a very big part of the uh, New York Yacht Club America Cup Challenge. Uh, Bellamente is a, a fantastic uh, work of craftsmanship and um, has pretty
13: good... Bob, you also just recently com- com- uh, competed in some New York Yacht Club races. Can you tell us about your um, exciting wins?
15: Uh, sure. Yeah, we just have a really Yacht race races.
3: All right, we're going to try and reconnect with Rob. It's getting a bad signal there. So, Karen, uh, tell us a little bit about how your trip uh, wrapped up in BVI.
13: Well, after I I had visited the New York Yacht Club in Manhattan, I I came back um, to San Francisco for a very short um, trip here and then went to the BVI. And as you know, I called in every week for three weeks. Um, it was great. That's the first time I've been out there for 23 days. Usually my trips are about 10 days, but I really enjoyed the time on the boat. It was very refreshing. I feel I feel like I feel like a new Karen.
3: How was the New York Yacht Club there on 44th? Did you go in the map room and all that other cool stuff?
13: Yes, I I love the model room. It's just absolutely gorgeous. The beautiful. Um, large spacious room with very tall ceilings, um, beautiful um, wood, wood cabinetry, and all of these models of boats that uh, have belonged to New York Yacht Club members and that are historic and part of that history. And that club is, that, of course, where um, you know, the New York Yacht Club is when the America's Cup started. We have the longest sports record, 132 years of uh, continuous wins, against all contenders, and now they're trying to get that, that cup back that was lost in the, in the upcoming 2024 America's Cup, so that's going to be quite exciting. It will take place in Barcelona, Spain.
3: Looks like we have Rob Ouellette back of Bellamente Racing talking about the Maxi Yacht Rolex Cup in Sardinia going to happen September 4th through 10th. Rob, tell us a little bit more about the race and some of the fellow participants there.
15: Sure. Sorry about that, guys. Um, you got me now?
3: Yeah, or we can hear you. Great.
15: great, great. Um, so we, we race in a class called the Maxi 72s, and there's four or five boats that are um, very similar to us. And, uh, you know, we race sort of with them around the globe wherever the sun shines. Generally in the winter, it takes us to the Caribbean. Uh, oftentimes we're in Newport, and then it always culminates with the Maxi World in September. So, um, you know, results have been mixed over the past couple of years. Cannonball, great competitor, beat us last year. Um, an old boat called Momo got sold to a really good competitor. Uh, they're now called Vesper, and they beat us in St. Bart's. We got the better better side of them for the past two events at New York Yacht Club, so it's really, uh, it's really all out there for the taking, and anybody has as good a shot as anybody else.
13: Do you find that the camaraderie of your competitors and, and the competition between you is one of the motivating forces for keeping those competitions going, or is it really about the cool places that you go to? Uh,
15: I think the camaraderie is definitely a part of it. The other part of it is that it's one of the few um, sort of maxi classes that exist right now where you can optimize your boat with sort of no expense spared, you know, short of the America's Cup. But the America's Cup itself has its own rules. So in the maxi class, you're pretty much allowed to do whatever you want, and um, you really need to try to figure out where the, sort of where the good money is spent and where it's, where it's not to try to optimize your boat. But um, you know, these owners are, um, are fantastic individuals, and they want to win. So they'll generally put their very best foot forward specifically for the maxi worlds. The camaraderie is certainly a part of it. Um, and, and a very good part of it it's a small world it's a small community that we all live in uh, but for sure we'll, when it comes time to, to, to go racing at the maxis um, everybody is a competitor
3: what would you say would be the biggest rivalry or a couple of the favorites
15: um, I think between ourselves Cannonball Vesper and Proteus we're probably the boats that are, that'll are be looking at each other the most um, beyond that the class is pretty diverse uh, some boats have been modified a little bit so that they're better in different conditions, but um, those four boats will be pretty even across the board, and it'll be a a dog-eat-dog sort of scenario.
13: So speak for a moment about your team. I've seen photographs of of almost 20 people on the boat taking that Victory um, V in a photograph, but what is um, how many people actually sail in the races, and and how many are on the shore?
15: Oh, in fact, it's more than 20. It's 22 on the boat every day. And it's, uh, it's a lot of mouths to feed and, <laughs> and a lot of people to organize. And actually our whole contingent uh, between shore team, boat builders, sailmakers, um, chefs, all those things, about 30. So it's, uh, it's not a small traveling show. And, uh, you know, we travel with three 40-foot containers, sail storage, workshop, the whole thing. So um, it's not a small group, and everybody has their, has their um, very distinct job. Um, so it's definitely a full, it's a full boat. <laughs> no pun intended.
3: Can you tell us uh, maybe your greatest moment of peril you've had in the sport? Sorry, can you repeat that one? Greatest your moment of what? Peril.
15: Peril. peril. Oh, geez. Um, greatest moment of peril. Well, for the for the Bellamente, for sure, it was a, it was a keel failure in um, in Antigua during the Caribbean 600 um, on the lee shore of Guadalupe, which was a, a bit of a nightmare. Um, you know, the keel it didn't break off, but it failed structurally, so it was uh sort of like a, a piece of a piece of noodle down there rather than a structural piece of steel uh, that was challenging we've also um, we've broken two masts over the course of Bellamente racing, which you know started in two thousand and six, so it's been some years uh, but those are never fun. One of them happened in Saint Bart's, where you feel like you're pretty removed from uh from any real help, <laughs> um, you're pretty, pretty far down Island when you're, when you're down there. Uh, but really those things, um, those things aren't, aren't, you know, regular occurrences for, for your, for your everyday race yacht. And, and, you know, it just speaks to how much we're pushing the envelope with these boats and, uh, how high performance they actually are. Well, and
13: this, um, class of boats really does allow so much freedom in design when when you're making decisions as a team about how to invest in the boat, are you um, how do you weigh the balance between um, speed and strength so that things don't break?
15: Uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, we really try to stay within a certain safety margin um, for a lot of things, like the the structural parts of the mast and all the things that are going to end your day. We try to stay within um, you know very very strict safety margins um but when it comes to you know um when it comes to, to designing and building or testing a new sale or or some other things that'll, that'll make you um uh, marginally i mean we're looking for a couple tenths of a knot here right we're not looking for five knots so um all those things are really hard to find and to mine them out of your your data and to try to find them is can be a very time-consuming process so we try to do all we can to spend as much time on the water every year as we can with the same crew with the same people to make sure that we can try to find those small nuances that make the boat go better upwind downwind and reaching um to just just stay that far ahead of our competition
3: and then give us a little if you could about sardinia and if, if people want to come what they can see what they can do how they can view it
15: Sure, um, uh, Sardinia is a is a fantastic place. It's one of the the, the jewels of Italy, um, and uh, the, the place, the venue is called Porto Cervo. uh the yacht club Costa Smeralda. The event is sponsored by Rolex. It's a fantastic um, display of the world's most fantastic Grand Prix yachts. It's it's quite amazing. Um, it's not that easy to get to, um, but getting there, you'll you'll enjoy it. Uh, you'll enjoy all of it. Um, you can see everything from, I mean, they'll have, I mean, the smallest, the smallest maxi is about 60 feet and they've got 60 footers to 120 footers, uh, some J class boats. Um, and it's quite a display sailing around the islands. And, um, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing sight to be seen, uh, in Porta Cervo at the Aqua Coast of Smoke the And there's a, a New York Aqua member. Uh, the New York Aqua does a great job, Jacob Kosasmelda is a fantastic job with this diverse fleet of Maxis over here. So it's, it's a pretty amazing event. And if you can get there uh, and enjoy watching some big boats race, it's a place to be. Have you
13: had an opportunity to meet His Royal Highness the Aga Khan, um, who is, was very much responsible for, for building out that area, Puerto Cuervo? He,
15: he sure was. I've met his daughter. Um, I have not seen him in, in my time there. I know he has been there, but um, I have not had the chance to meet him. Um, but the, the club itself is, is doing very well, and it's always a fantastic place to uh, to run this event, and we're really looking forward to it again.
3: There he is, Rob Ouellette, and uh, check out the Maxi Yacht Rolex Cup coming up next month. Rob, thanks for coming on, and uh, best of luck in the race.
15: Thanks so much for your time, you guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great day.
3: All right, and uh, Karen, good to talk Hi. to you again. Welcome back karen
15: well rick yes i'm still here
3: yeah just saying uh, good to talk to you again and welcome back oh i'm glad to be back and rick it's always great to talk to you every week all right we'll take a quick break and we will come on back on sports bio.
16: Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little known truths about annuities
1: that's 800-760-1845.
17: Come on, you watch the news, be prepared to pay more taxes. Then if you owe back taxes or haven't filed in a few years, get ready. The IRS, the largest collection agency in the world, will be coming after you. In some cases, they have reduced a $50,000 tax bill to less than 1000 If you owe the IRS 5000 or more in back taxes, call now for a free consultation. Call
1: 800-732-9635. 800-732-9635. 800-732-9635. That's
18: 800-732-9635. Remember in the beginning, when you first started to build a life for you and your family.
11: I wish you would try and slap Rick Tittle's mama's face. He would clown you.
3: Oh, I'd clown. That's the way it goes. Two more hours to go. And you know that. Today is the anniversary of, say it with me together, one, two, three, go. The Battle of Pharsalus. Fought on August 9th, 48 BC, between uh, Julius Caesar and Pompey. This was all part of uh, the uh, Roman... Civil War and uh, Pompey very much outnumbered Julius Caesar, still lost, and then uh, Pompey ran away from the camp and his own men dressed up like a civilian, went to Egypt, and then Ptolemy the thirteenth, fourteenth Ptolemy had him executed <laughs> for uh, running away. So uh, I know that was on your mind as well. And um, tonight, when you have your battle of farceless parties, uh, you can uh, think about that. Uh, Another thing about today is that Serena Williams has announced uh, her retirement. And uh, during her career, she was, of course, uh, at the top, um, finished the year number one five times, and um, was number one in the world. Remember, they go week by week. She was... Number one, 186 consecutive weeks, uh, which is the record. The only person with more Grand Slam titles is Margaret Court with uh, 24. It was a Mark Williams has been attempting to tie ever since she won the 2017 Australian Open. And um, she's going to be uh, retiring after the U.S. Open, which is going to be beginning on uh, the 29th. And she said, unfortunately, I wasn't ready to win Wimbledon this year, and I don't know if I'll be ready to win New York, but I'm going to try, and the lead-up tournaments uh, will be fun. And she's going to devote her uh, career to having another kid. And she said, if I have to choose between building my tennis resume and building my family, I choose the latter. Her and her husband, the internet whiz, Alexis Ohaney, and they have a five-year-old daughter, uh, Olympia. And um, as I said, they're trying to have another one. Uh, 40 years old, and she was a professional at 14 years old. 23 Grand Slam titles. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. We will take a break, take a hard news break, and then come back in about five, and we'll do two more hours.
20: USA Radio News with Tim Berg. Today I'm signing the law of the Chips and Science Act. A -a once-in-a-generation investment in America itself. President
21: Biden speaking at the White House on Tuesday. The bill will aid companies in developing the technology of the future. The legislation also aims to ease reliance on China by ramping up domestic manufacturing of semiconductor chips. A majority of Americans over 50 are very likely to get an updated COVID vaccine booster shot this fall. That's according to a new University of Michigan poll, which puts that number right around 61%. The figure rises to 68% when the question is asked of folks 65 and older. Google is back online after users around the world reported the search engine not working from late Monday into early Tuesday. This is USA Radio News
20: make money doing what you love it can be done matter of fact it has been done consider the story of jack london he's one of the highest paid writers of all time authored the call of the wild recently released as a blockbuster movie starring harrison ford jack grew up in a rough neighborhood in oakland poor uneducated and a school dropout as a child jack fell in love with the idea of being a writer The notion that an uneducated, dirt-poor school dropout from Oakland could someday be a published writer was insanity. You know the rest of the story, though. Jack London became one of the richest writers of all time. Discover Jack's secret that allows anyone of any income or educational level to make money doing what they love. Whatever it is you love more than anything else, let's make that your prosperous living. Go right now to DiscoveringJack.com. That's DiscoveringJack.com. His secret is free. Just go to DiscoveringJack.com. DiscoveringJack.com.
21: House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says her recent trip to Taiwan wasn't about China, it was about Taiwan.
11: I don't think that the President of China uh, should control the schedules of members of Congress or anyone else who wants to visit Taiwan.
21: Speaking with MSNBC's Morning Joe on Tuesday, Pelosi pointed out that American officials have visited the island nation before without incident. Beijing expressed outrage over Pelosi's visit to Taiwan last week which it considers part of its territory. A new Ipsos saxos poll found that many Americans of both parties are now considering moving from their home states to new locations where their political beliefs hold sway. Over 30% of Americans have considered making such a move in the past six months. Overall, 38% of people who said they are considering a move will go to a red state compared to 34% who would move to a blue state and 28% to a swing state. This is USA Radio News.
22: Suspense.
23: The shadow knows. Mystery in the air. Starring Peter Laurie. I am the whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. The greatest radio shows of all time. Classic radio theater with Wyatt Cox on this radio station, or at our webpage, classicradio.stream. That's classicradio.stream. Or search your favorite podcast app.
21: The House is expected to take up a big spending bill that was passed in the Senate. Senator Roger Marshall, Republican from Kansas, reacts to the Inflation Reduction Act, as it's being called, and the $80 billion that's being used to fund the
3: IRS. This will disproportionately impact small businesses and people that don't have lawyers and accountants uh, full-time within their offices as well. So once again, Joe Biden is creating another tax. Just like inflation is a tax on, on middle-income, hard-working Americans as well, this will be another tax on hard-working Americans.
21: Vaccine volunteers are needed.
5: Volunteers are being sought in the U.S. and Europe to test the first potential vaccine against Lyme disease in 20 years. Cases are rising, and warming weather is helping ticks expand their habitat. A vaccine for people was pulled off the market in 2002 due to a lack of demand. That left bug spray and tick checks as the only options available to us humans. Dogs, on the other hand, well, they've long had a vaccine available to them. For USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns in New York.
21: The Detroit Lions will be the focus this NFL preseason as Hard Knocks gets set to debut on HBO Max. The series will follow the Lions as they prepare for the season and the second year under head coach Dan Campbell. Hard Knocks debuts on HBO Max Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg.
3: Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you for another two hours. We got Stephen Scholar coming up on the other side of this break. Kyle Petty, legend. He'll join us at 1040. He has a new book called Swerve or Die, y'all. I threw in the y'all. We'll talk to ATM's Tom Viola about soccer at 1112. Paco Remain, comedian from The Punchline, will join us at 1125. And we'll have director Michelle Danner for her new film called The Runner at 11.40 Pacific. So my free segment would be around 10.25 if you want to give us a ringy ding, also known as a phone call. 1-800-878-PLAY. 1-800-878-7529. You know, Chris Sale has barely pitched for the Red Sox in three years due to various injuries. And um, on Monday he underwent an open reduction and internal fixation of a right distal radius wrist fracture. And uh, he will miss the rest of the season. On Saturday, he got hurt falling off his bicycle. They said he will be ready for the start <laughs> of spring training. And um, Chaim Bloom, the GM, said that um, Sale was playing catch Uh, Saturday at Boston College, and then he got on his bike to go get some lunch. They said he hit something in the road and flew off. Okay. Well, he was already on the injured list with a broken finger that he got in July. Prior to that, he had rib stress fractures that kept him on the shelf for three months. A couple years ago, he had elbow issues. He got Tommy John, missed all of 2020, only nine starts last season. So, since the pandemic, started 48 and a third is all that he can pitch when he does pitch he looks like an ace but I mean the Red Sox are long shots at this point their record is sub 500 and uh, they have less than 10% chance of making the playoffs at this point but Edward Scissorhands if you remember the White Sox thing with <laughs> that whole thing that went down uh, he's going to miss the rest uh, of the season alright we will take a quick break and we will come on back right here on SportsBot
11: Call Rate Genius now.
1: 800-811-7913. 800-811-7913. 800-811-7913. That's 800-811-7913. Not all applicants qualify for a loan or rate
0: savings. Actual offer terms, including APR, are determined at the time of your application based on creditworthiness, value of the vehicle, loan term, and other factors.
11: Are you looking for solutions for health and wellness at home? Please visit antiagingbed.com. They are on a mission to use proven technology to provide you with healthy solutions to many conditions that affect all of us physically and mentally. Use promo code wellness for your discount. Antiagingbed.com, technology proven to help you feel your best. Use promo code wellness, antiagingbed.com. Feel your best.
3: Thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tuttle with you coast-to-coast and nationally syndicated out of San Francisco, around the world as well on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show painter and artist Stephen Scholar, who has a new exhibit in Provincetown, Massachusetts. And um, this will uh, be—it's been running since the 4th. It's going to go through the uh, 17th at the Rice Pollock uh, Gallery And, um, Stephen, welcome to the show. I know you've been doing this some four decades. What do we have in store here for this? Yes. Uh, How are you doing?
22: Thanks for having me on. I've been doing it for about four decades, and recently I moved from oil painting to acrylic painting due to a, a very serious bout with cancer. So it's been an interesting change. I was going to give up totally, but the the fine people at Golden Artist Colors who make acrylic paint dropped off two boxes of paint and got me rehooked.
3: So, I'm sorry about the diagnosis, but how has that affected the way you look at your art now?
22: Well, um it's pretty much affected everything in that uh First of all, I've just been working with oil paint and heavy metals. I'm a classically trained figurative painter, so I would use white lead and cobalt dryers and cadmium colors and all these different things, and then turpentine and all this stuff. Um, They don't know for sure, but I have a form of leukemia, and uh, all this stuff is, not helpful at all for sure. So I don't know if you know of the happy painter, Bob was it Bob Rossi?
6: Yes, Bob Ev- Ross.
22: Yeah. E- Bob Ross, exactly. Evidently he had a form of leukemia as well and eventually got him. And um if you ever watched his show he used to clean his brushes by hitting them on the side of a uh his easel or a table cable leg. And it would they would become mist, and he was breathing all that stuff. Hmm. So pretty pretty serious stuff. So like I said, I was going to stop and uh, the fine people at Golden brought this paint over, and um, it's been a wonderful, so I figured I had, you know four decades into it, I might as well keep going.
3: So the the paint is is that that toxic paint? Is that still mainstream? People still use it?
22: Sure. Well, it, recently in our company in our country, they've outlawed lead paint. Mm-hmm. Artists can still use get lead paints and cadmium colors, and all these cobalt dryers. It's all very toxic stuff. But uh, yes, as far as artists are concerned, it's it's. Um, it's in use and now people wear rubber gloves when they paint. Back when I started, nobody was wearing rubber gloves or masks or anything. And who knows? But, um, I know, I know I had acquired a, a lack of tolerance to lead already because I had tried using some lead paint not too long ago and it really got me pretty woozy. So, um, I stopped doing that, but then I was diagnosed with this. And uh, so I, I, I figured I'd stop painting, but, you know, it's something I always love to do. And it was my main source of an in- income for all these years. So it's been wonderful. So I, I've been with a dealer. I've been with the Rice Pollock Gallery in Provincetown for over 25 years. And um, I wasn't sure I was even up to putting together a show, but I put together a bunch of small pieces for a show, which you can, if you look up uh, Rice Pollock Gallery, Provincetown, you can see the work, or you could look up my Instagram under my name, Stephen Scholar, and see the work. It's always, it's, it's paintings mostly of toys, that that I've been doing. I always did toys for years. My early work I did big figurative works, and recently, um, and well, back then I would do the toy paintings just in between these paintings because they'd take me months to do, and so this was a nice respite to do these little paintings of toys that I've collected over the years, and I get to exercise my. Strange sense of humor through it, so it's been pretty wonderful that way. But
3: yeah, what um, is it about these toys? These like these little wind-up robots from the fifties and sixties. It's just uh, it's just something that grabs you, huh?
22: Yeah, well, it grabs me, and then I try to put them together and um, sometimes make a narrative of some sort, you know, illustrating some silly idea or some serious idea. Um, it, it's funny because. I did some political paintings, and if you go on my website uh, or or the the gallery's website, you can see I the last painting I did was a a, a painting of Trump, and uh, and I made the frame that was behind bars. That was that was two years ago, I guess now, but I do believe that that was the painting that gave me cancer. But that's a whole another a whole another subject
3: geez Louis well that was the one that was the toxic painting
22: well uh, they they were all toxic for 40 years up to that but that was the last oil painting i did mm-hmm. and i worked on it for probably three months and i don't know people keep asking me how i could keep staring at it at staring at him but <laughs> it was something i felt i had to do <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a crazy painting of trump with blood on his hands that was I don't know about two years old now. So, but uh, an interesting painting someday. Perhaps it'll be in the White House. Who knows? It should. It should be in. It'd be great if that was his official portrait. But who knows?
3: Yeah, I doubt it, huh?
22: <laughs> I doubt it too. I doubt it too. But we can always hope, right? So.
3: Well, so um, after this exhibit, uh, what's next on the list?
22: Well, um, you know, I it's kind of an interesting thing. I've just been a painter for forty years, and um, I also play music. But I, I kind of thought I would just be playing music, but I, I still love to paint. So it's wonderful, and um, the acrylics have been, you know, they're they take some getting used to, and they're a little different, but still. Um, I find in my life it's a wonderful thing to be able to just go in my studio and be able to keep working it's you know it's a very uh meditative process so um I'm pleased to be doing it I'm pleased to be here I'm pleased to be anywhere mm-hmm. so it's 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 been the the uh, new I called this recent show reconsidered and that's because I kind of reconsidered everything. When you get cancer it makes you <laughs> yeah, makes you really reconsider everything. So I went through about 6 months of very heavy chemo and was very bald and all of that, but now I'm I'm still on the chemo but hopefully the tumor is supposedly dying, and hopefully, you know, I'll be able to keep making some noise for a bit.
3: All right, there he is, Stephen Scholar. Go to stephenscholar.com, spelled S-K-O-L-L-A-R. The paintings are all part of the exhibit, as I mentioned, at the Rice Pollock Gallery in Provincetown, Mass. That's going to go through the 17th. Uh, Stephen, thanks for coming on, and uh, all the best.
22: Thanks for having me. Good luck. Be well.
3: All right. I'm Rick Tittle. We will come on back on Sports Byline.
8: You'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us. We'll offer you a money-back guarantee. If you're ready to start losing weight right now, call right now to learn more about your risk-free order to Body Sculpt.
1: Call for your risk-free offer. Eight hundred seven three eight five three three two. Eight hundred seven three eight five three three two. Eight hundred seven three eight five three three two. that's eight hundred seven three eight fifty three thirty two.
11: You must be crazy. Use a D-O-G. And if you was my man, I would have been kicked you out of my house by now. This is what had happened.
3: This is what had happened. Thank you for that. And welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you. 1-800-878-PLAY. 1-800-878-7529. Come on in and get heard. I said get heard, girl. All right. Um, (laughs) This is a free segment. If you want to get in, this would be the time to do it. 1-800-878-PLAY. I say it in my sleep. Sometimes I get it wrong. Do I? I think so. All right. Well, um, I like to uh, hike. And when I mean hike, I basically mean walk. Um, I don't mountain climb. I went to this place called Garden of the Gods. I also went to the top of Pike's Peak in my car, which was a very perilous drive Many parts of it, no guardrail. It remind me of being in Monaco um, on the Côte d'Azur. These hairpin turns, <clears throat> and I'm going as slow as I can, but it's just it's nerve wracking. It's you have a lot of anxiety because if you go over the edge, you're toast. That's it. And <laughs> it just but anyway, so there's this thing <clears throat> that I saw in Colorado Springs near Manitou Springs, which is a delightful little town. Uh, Colorado Springs, eh, but Manitou Springs is kind of like how I imagine what cute Colorado would look like. But it's on the eastern flank of uh, Pike's Peak, and it's a former narrow-gauge funicular, and the tracks got washed out during a rock slide in 1990. And so they built it, because the railroad ties are still there, they built it into something where you could try and walk up it <clears throat> with the railroad ties there. And it's not like stairs. It's really not. But there are certain points where it's a 68% grade, which is like climbing up a wall, a 68% grade. And the incline gains 2,000 feet so, you go from seven thousand feet to nine thousand feet, <clears throat> and there were two hundred or sorry two thousand seven hundred and forty four steps um when I say steps it, but sometimes there were parts where there were two railroad ties that you had to climb up with both your hands like you were crawling on your hands and knees and so that was my first day there. I went to do that and it was the hardest thing I've ever done physically since playing college football. And college football almost kicked my behind, but I survived that, I barely survived that. And so, (laughs) this was ridiculous. And it was 95 degrees and you're going straight uphill and there's no hope because you just look and it's a straight wall as far as the eye can see to the curvature of the earth, the horizon. And you just think, how how can I get up there, you know, um, from 7,000 to 9,000 feet? The difficulty on the hiking little meter is the very highest form of extreme, so it doesn't get any harder. And But people had pictures, said, oh, yeah, you know, I climbed up it and everything. I'm like, oh, okay, we'll check it out. And I had a bottled water, and I sprayed suntan lotion on me. This will be my greatest segment in my show's history. Try to stay awake. And so I started going up, and then I realized it took me two and a half hours to climb it. Two and a half hours to climb 2,000 feet because I got to the point about halfway where I thought maybe I was getting altitude sickness. Now, I had just flown. So now at that point, I was about uh, 8,000 feet. And I started thinking maybe I was getting altitude sickness because my whole body was shaking. I was getting low on water. And so I would do about 10 steps, and I'd go off to the side, and I'd rest under like a a shady tree for like three minutes. And then I'd go back, and I'd do another 10 steps, and I'd have to rest again. And I thought, this is going to take forever. And everyone else is doing the same thing. They're taking rest. No one is running up this thing. No one is just going nonstop. And so... I got to a point, because every 100 steps, there'd be a plaque, and I knew there were 2,700 of them. And when I got to 1,700, so 1,000 left to go, there was a shortcut to the Bar Trail. That's right, Ron Barr, B-A-R-R, the Bar Trail, which takes you back down to the bottom of the hill. And that's a regular trail. You can just go right there. And so many people bailed at that point. But I knew I would never come back. And I knew that it would screw with my head if I didn't finish it. And so then I went about another 300 steps. And then I kind of wished that I had quit. But I knew I wouldn't quit because what's the point of doing this unless I do it? I'm not going to come back next week or whatever. I have to do it now. But then I knew I was stuck because you can't really go down. No one goes down because it's too steep and you go into a somersault and you'll go thousands of feet straight downhill. It's almost like a ladder covered in dirt. And so right about that point with about, I don't know, 500 steps left, there was this couple, they had a backpack, they had kids. And the guy said, do you need some extra water? At first there was a guy in a Bronco shirt that asked me extra water and bless his heart, but I'm not taking water from a Bronco fan. I might've then though. (laughs) And so they go, do you need extra water? And I said, actually I do, do you have some extra? And they said, no, not really. And this was like one of those Larry David things, like really hoping I would say no. And so then with about 300 steps left, I was sitting on one side of the trail, they were sitting on the other, we were just trying to catch our breath. And the guy felt bad. And he goes, do you want an apple or granola bar? And and I said, do you have extras? He goes, we got lots of those. And I said, I would love that. So I was talking to him. I was wearing a Tottenham shirt. He's like, I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm from Nebraska, blah, blah, blah. That apple, bless that guy's heart. That apple and that granola bar was just the energy I needed to just reinvigorate me to do the last 400 steps. And I got to the top. And as I said, two and a half hours in the making. And then the bar trail is the greatest trail I've ever taken because it's downhill and flat for an hour because you're coming down 2,000 feet back to 7,000 where my car was. And so it's like you never want to do it the other way. It's the worst trail I've ever done, if you can call the Manitou Incline a trail, and then it was the greatest one. That was your reward was you got an hour of a relaxing walk Switchbacks with amazing views. You can look. It's where Colorado Springs is and where Pikes Peak is. Pikes Peak is the eastern slope of the Rockies, so you're basically looking straight into Kansas and the plains and Dodge City. And then if you look south, it goes down to New Mexico. And then if you look a little bit more north, you can go into, um, or more a little more southeast, you go into Texas. But you're basically, it's the beginning of the central, great central plains. And it's its an outstanding view. But from the time I started to the time I got back to my car, it was four hours and ten minutes. And for the next three days, my calves were like Popeye calves. <laughs> they were like Tyson biceps. But And then I would talk to local people and they go, oh yeah, I used to do that three times a week. And I'm like, no you didn't oh yeah, I'd do it three times a week. No, you didn't. No. I believe you've done it. You didn't do it three times a week. You know, Jim Thorpe couldn't do it three times a week. And they go, how long did it take you? I go, two and a half hours. They're like, oh my gosh. I'm like, well, sorry. And then when I got back down, I saw these little cans that looked like hairspray, but they had a nose thing, and it was canned oxygen. And it was from Shark Tank. And he goes, like, oh yeah, these were on Shark Tank. I'm like, I could have used one of those. Because I thought, you know, the cure to altitude sickness, I know this from spending, you know, so much time at Tahoe in my life, my life growing up there in the summers, that I know that if you get altitude sickness, the only cure is to take you back down to sea level. There's no chance for that, where I was. Even if you drove uh, an hour north to Denver, they're at 5,000 feet. (laughs) So you're not getting back to sea level anytime soon. And so... You know, you. I, when I got to the top, I felt like a king because I was able to do it, and it was fighting tooth and nail the whole way, you know? Like, it. it's weird to climb maybe, you know, these 10 quote-unquote steps was probably 30 or 40 st- feet straight up, and then I would rest for three to five minutes. I just wanted to catch my breath and stop my body from shaking. I know it sounds dramatic, but I'm not in my 20s. I'm not even in my 30s, so... Uh, it's uh, it was a pain and I almost never post anything when I'm on vacation unless I'm like at a soccer stadium or something and I didn't post after that but about three days later I was bored and I'm like you know what I'm posting that picture from the top let's just see if anybody even knows what that is because I didn't know what that thing was two weeks ago the Manitou Incline check it out just like we'll check out Kyle per- Perry can I say his name Kyle Perry on the other side
4: This report is sponsored by Amazon back to school season is upon us with a number of preparations underway for the whole family cut back on time and money spent with an Amazon prime membership. Take advantage of exclusive deals and convenient fast free delivery options on essentials like school supplies, groceries for school lunches, and more. That's not all with prime reading families can access more than 3000 books and magazines, including free educational content as a study break. You can also enjoy unlimited access to award-winning movies, series, and live sports with Prime Video, or ad-free listening of 2 million songs, thousands of stations and playlists, and thousands of podcasts with Amazon Music. Best of all, Amazon offers a discounted Prime membership option for qualifying government assistance recipients, including SNAP, EBT, and Medicaid, giving families access to all of Prime's benefits at just half the cost of a regular membership. To learn more about the discounted option, visit amazon.com slash qualify now
1: That's 800-788-1495. You're crazy. You're crazy,
12: man. You're crazy.
0: I like you,
12: but you're crazy.
11: Saw Rick Tittle at the laundromat last night, and I was hella checking him out. I just kept staring at him, and he played like I wasn't even there. I'd be like that then.
3: All right, thank you for that. Welcome back to the show, Rick Tittle, with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show one of the great NASCAR drivers of all time, Kyle Petty, and he's here. He has a brand new book, which is out today from St. Martin's Press. It's called swerve or die. Life at my speed in the first family of NASCAR racing. And um, Kyle, welcome to the show. And I, I guess for you, I mean, it was in your blood with your with your dad. Did you ever think of doing anything else in your life?
23: No. Thank you for having me. First, thank you for having me. And, and no, never did. And, and but it, but that, that sounds that might sound crazy. But the thing is. Um, I grew up in rural North Carolina where most of our neighbors were tobacco farmers and dairy farmers, and that's what their sons did. They just fell into being farmers. Uh, we just happened to raise race cars on our farm, so I just fell into being a farmer uh, and being a race car driver when, when my time was had come to, to do something or to go out and make a living. So uh, I never thought about doing anything but driving a race car.
3: Now, we're about the same age. You're a little bit older than me, but I just remember in the 70s, we'd have the STP, we put that sticker on everything, and the 43. When, when you look around as a kid, did you say, wow, my dad is really a legend, or when you were little, he just was dad? But
23: listen, he was not the king when I was little. I was the king because I had all the STP stickers <laughs> that I could get from him. Um, so that, that, I was the one that ruled the elementary schools, man. That's, uh-huh. that's the way it was. But... Uh, You know what? It's funny. I've said it before. I didn't, I thought everybody's dad had a race car until I was seven or eight years old. I just, I mean, you know, you grow up, you don't really question what your dad does. And then one day you wake up and you realize, man, you know, I I took a kid in second grade to, to a, a racetrack with us and he was just amazed. And I'm like, what, what's the big deal, man? There's just race cars and race people. And, and I think that's when it struck me that, you know, maybe what we did and maybe what my dad did was a little bit odd and a little bit different than what most families did. So it was, It was pretty cool. Uh, And listen, those STP stickers, when you said that, God, that brought back a lot of memories, man. (laughs) Between STP stickers and putting baseball cards uh, in your spokes to make them sound like a race car when you were riding those bikes, (laughs) man, that's the way it was.
3: No doubt about it. And I just think about the progression of cars from the Dodge Magnums and the Pontiac Grand Prix to what you finished with. Was it just like night and day?
23: Yeah, listen. It was night and day. From what I started with in the late '70s, from what my dad raced in the, in the '60s uh, and into the '70s, to what he ended his career in the '90s, and then I ended my career in 2008. Uh, it was light years. But the, the amazing thing is what NASCAR has done from 2021 to 2022. This car is not light years. It's a bazillion miles away from what um, from what these guys have always run. Uh, independent. Rear suspension, rack and pinion steering. I mean, they have done so much with these things, so much with these cars that um, they're just totally different. They're not. It's not even in the same ballpark as what I run or what other people, what my dad and those guys run. So it's pretty amazing uh, the technology and how the technology has changed this thing
3: no doubt so putting pen to paper now with the book swerve or die sometimes you might have to revisit things that are hard but you want to be open and transparent in your in your memoir so was that was that hard for you
23: very hard uh... a lot harder than i anticipated uh... no joke um... i, I think you know going back to to and revisiting adam's accident uh... to revisiting um, you know twenty years ago uh... when he was killed in in new hampshire uh, you know, I think you think you you deal with something. I think you think you you put it in a box and you put it in a place where everything's going to be okay, um, and and you're okay with it. And then one day you have to open that, and when you open it, um, it's it's still fresh. It's like it happened yesterday. And and I think that's the that was the thing. I I was amazed at how how just it was just right under the surface. The wound was still there. The hurt was still there uh the ache was still there, everything was still there. So having to 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 write it, uh, and be honest, uh, was very painful. But then I I'll be honest with you here, the, doing an audio book, having to stand in a booth by yourself and read it mm. uh was the was the mo- the worst. Was the worst. And that was a that was a very emotional time, a very hard time.
3: Yeah, I can't imagine ever getting over that. We're speaking with Kyle Petty, the book Swerve or Die, which is out now. Do you get into your music career at all and and how that went?
23: I get into it a little bit. get into opening for Hank jr and um uh, and the Oak Ridge Boys and Randy Travis and some of that stuff and then uh in recent years uh I'm visiting that again since I' retired, and I don't ride around in circles and hit walls anymore <laughs> um I, I I just get up on stage and have people throw things at me that that's what I do now, but it, it it's been fun that that part has been fun, and music's always been a part of my life since. And I write about that since I was 12 years old, and I saw Marty Robbins and a a preacher that came to the racetrack and preached to us named Bill Frazier. Since I borrowed his guitar and learned to play his guitar when I was 12, music has always been a big, big part of my life. And uh, I was a band geek in high school, so uh, you know I've never, no matter how old I get, I never get away from that.
3: How much uh, in your career do you think you literally had to swerve or die?
23: You know, I I think and and th- this is an interesting part, and thank you for bringing that up because we we came up with the title. Ellis and I came up with the title because we wanted to to kind of to have something that just just hit you right between the eyes, just hit you right between the eyes, and made you look at the book. Uh, and and these are the words we came up with, and then we we looked at it because it, it's if you read the book and you look at how I started and and, and you know having. You know, growing up in the shadow of Lee Petty, growing up in the shadow of Richard Petty, uh, growing up in a sport that your your parents, your your dad, and your grandfather had dominated for so many so many years, and uh, you know, you just have to. There's there's things that you're going to be able to do, and things you're not going to be able to do, and you've got to understand the difference in them, and you've got to be able to swerve or die. You've got to be able to change direction. You've got to be able to to be what you need to be, and do what you need to do. And that's kind of the, the, the way we come up with it. The last chapter is about NASCAR and how NASCAR has been able to constantly change direction, to constantly change to be relevant to what the sport needs to be and what the sport needs to be today uh, in the show that we put on on the racetrack. And I think that's, that's evident by, by uh, the recent years with, with inclusion, diversity, uh, Bubba Wallace, the Confederate flag, the new car. There's so many things that NASCAR has done to change and to be relevant today. And I think they've been very, very successful at it. So um, I think what you take away from the book is everything's not as it, always as it seems, and behind the scenes, uh, somebody's always swerving uh, to keep from from having to stop and, and being able to go on.
3: No, it's very well said. And I know in sports, a lot of times your number can mean so much. What other athlete you are, and you know, you the the times you were forty two, forty three, forty four, you know, seven. What was it like that one time you did? get to drive with 43
23: (laughs) you know what that was that was fun uh we had people completely confused when we showed up at riverside with that and flipped the numbers um and and that was a weird deal we were we were just trying to there was a loophole in the system and we were trying to to find our way through the loophole and we only had one shot at it and it didn't work uh but it was a fun time and and you know i I i was very blessed i got to drive the 42 most of my career, which was my grandfather's number, I got to drive my dad's number 43. I ran my own number 44 for a number of years. Uh, and then after Adam's accident and he passed away, I finished my career in the 45. So I ended up in and almost every number that had ever been on a Petty Enterprise car, I ended up in at some point in time.
3: <laughs> I want to ask you this, too, about at Charlotte now, we have the the, the Roval. It's it's a regular oval, and now it's a road course. and I've been talking to a lot of drivers, and it's basically, you know, swerve or die, like, you know, adapt or, or get out. And I think it's very interesting. How, how would you take to something like a Roval?
23: Listen, you know what? It is a racetrack is a racetrack is a racetrack, and, and that's the way I look at it, uh, honestly. Uh, I feel like that NASCAR has the best drivers, the greatest drivers in the world. When you start looking at Denny Hamlin, when you start looking at, at, at Kyle Busch, Uh, at Kyle Larson, um, at Kevin Harvick, who won this past week at 46 years old. These guys, they adapt to anything. And that's why when you look at the NASCAR series, we run everywhere from the L.A. Coliseum uh, to the dirt of Bristol to the road courses uh, of of, um, upstate New York to Watkins Glen to the Roval here uh, in Charlotte uh, to the Super Speedways. And they adapt and they run everywhere whenever they need to. And that's kind of the way I've always looked at it is, if there's going to be a racetrack and there's going to be a NASCAR race and you want to be a NASCAR driver, you're going to figure out a way to adapt and you're going to figure out a way to begin it. Uh, and chances are you may not like it the first time, uh, but you better learn to love it because it's going to be on the schedule for a long time, and that's the way NASCAR does stuff.
3: Yeah, I agree. One last question for you. How real was Stroker Ace? Yeah,
23: you know, well, Stroker Ace was put in the wrong category because it really was a documentary more so than a movie. Um, that, I'm joking. I'm joking. It was not a documentary. It was not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So that, you know what? It it is so funny. I've I've had this question two or three phone calls that I've made is, is what is the most realistic movie? And I've said, and I always say, they never made a movie. All those movies were, all those things were documentary. Talladega Nights was a documentary, man. It's, that's true fact. You know what I mean? And and people just laugh. But it it is. You know, it's such a funny sport. And and I love this sport because you look at Stroker Race, you look at Six Pack, you look at Talladega Yeah, you, know, you know, you look at, we look at at, at at Days of Thunder and we laugh at it. To us, all those movies are comedies and they are fun and they are fun to watch and they are enjoyable. And that's what a movie is. A movie is supposed to be entertaining. So, I, listen, the only thing realistic in, in, in Days of Thunder were the race cars because Rick Hendrick and Hendrick Motorsports put them out there. Uh, and they were good cars, man. They were good cars, but that's the most realistic thing in any movie I've ever seen as far as racing goes.
3: The most realistic thing in Stroker Ace was you then, right?
23: (laughs) No, it was that room service cart because we had to turn it back in. We stole it from the room service people when we were racing on them uh, that morning. We took them out of the kitchen because it was 3.30 in the morning, so... We did have that was real. I will say that.
3: <laughs> All right, the book "Swerve or Die: Life at My Speed in the First Family of NASCAR Racing" by our guest Kyle Petty, along with Ellis Hennigan. It is out today from St. Martin's Press. Kyle, great stuff, man. Thanks for coming on and congrats on the book.
23: Thank you very much, man. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it.
3: All right, good stuff. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back on Sports Byline.
11: Rick Tittle always goes commando.
3: Thank you for that. Couple of minutes left. An hour. Number two of three. All pro linebacker Roquan Smith has requested a trade from the Bears, and he put out a <clears throat> little uh, social media blurb. He said, "Quote to the city of Chicago and all the Bears fans worldwide, I have officially requested a trade. Just writing these words is deeply painful." I'm a kid from Macon County, Georgia. When you grow up playing football, you dream about making it to the NFL one day. However, playing the linebacker position, you never imagine getting drafted in the top 10 by the Chicago Bears. I'm a homegrown Bear. A dream came true for me to have an opportunity to put that Bears helmet on, wear the same jerseys that the legendary linebackers did, and it's an indescribable feeling. Walking these hallways the past four years, you can feel the spirit, you can feel the pressure to live up to that timeless history, that great legacy. I dreamed of playing like Wilbur Marshall, Singletary, Briggs, Erlocker, Butkus. Since the day I was drafted, I vowed to play this position at a level that upheld the standard that was set before me to uphold that honor and respect, and I have. Unfortunately... New front office, regime doesn't value me here, and they've refused to negotiate in good faith. Every step of this journey has been take it or leave it. The deal sent to me is one that would be bad for myself and for the entire linebacker market if I signed it. I've been trying to get something done that's fair since April, but their focus has been on trying to take advantage of me. I wanted to be a Bear for my entire career, help this team bring a Super Bowl back to our city. However, they have left me no choice than to request a trade that allows me to play for an organization that truly values what I bring to the table. I haven't had the chance to talk to the McCaskey family, and maybe they can salvage this, but as of right now, I don't see a path back to the organization I truly love. I hope and pray you all can understand. I'm deeply sorry it's come to this. Sincerely, Roquan Smith. That's one of the most, I don't know, thoughtful and well-written statements from an athlete I've seen in a long time, and you can see that little plea there to the ownership. But according to NFL Network, the Bears offered Smith a backloaded offer that would not make him the highest paid linebacker, and that type of offer has uh, helped him uh, to this uh, path now. But yes, he was the eighth overall pick coming out of Georgia. He's been a second-team All-Pro the last two years and his best season ever was last season he had 163 tackles three sacks and three pass breakups another type of breakup going on here i'm rick tittle we got another hour come on back
20: USA Radio News with Tim Berg. Today I'm signing the law of the Chips and Science Act. A -a once-in-a-generation investment in America itself. President
21: Biden speaking at the White House on Tuesday. The bill will aid companies in developing the technology of the future. The legislation also aims to ease reliance on China by ramping up domestic manufacturing of semiconductor chips. A majority of Americans over 50 are very likely to get an updated COVID vaccine booster shot this fall. That's according to a new University of Michigan poll, which puts that number right around 61%. The figure rises to 68% when the question is asked of folks 65 and older. Google is back online after users around the world reported the search engine not working from late Monday into early Tuesday. This is USA Radio News
20: make money doing what you love it can be done matter of fact it has been done consider the story of jack london he's one of the highest paid writers of all time authored the call of the wild recently released as a blockbuster movie starring harrison ford jack grew up in a rough neighborhood in oakland poor uneducated and a school dropout as a child jack fell in love with the idea of being a writer The notion that an uneducated, dirt-poor school dropout from Oakland could someday be a published writer was insanity. You know the rest of the story, though. Jack London became one of the richest writers of all time. Discover Jack's secret that allows anyone of any income or educational level to make money doing what they love. Whatever it is you love more than anything else, let's make that your prosperous living. Go right now to DiscoveringJack.com. That's DiscoveringJack.com. His secret is free. Just go to DiscoveringJack.com. DiscoveringJack.com.
21: House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says her recent trip to Taiwan wasn't about China, it was about Taiwan.
11: I don't think that the President of China uh, should control the schedules of members of Congress or anyone else who wants to visit Taiwan.
21: Speaking with MSNBC's Morning Joe on Tuesday, Pelosi pointed out that American officials have visited the island nation before without incident. Beijing expressed outrage over Pelosi's visit to Taiwan last week which it considers part of its territory. A new Ipsos saxos poll found that many Americans of both parties are now considering moving from their home states to new locations where their political beliefs hold sway. Over 30% of Americans have considered making such a move in the past six months. Overall, 38% of people who said they are considering a move will go to a red state compared to 34% who would move to a blue state and 28% to a swing state. This is USA Radio News.
22: Suspense.
23: The shadow knows. Mystery in the air. Starring Peter Laurie. I am the whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. The greatest radio shows of all time. Classic radio theater with Wyatt Cox on this radio station, or at our webpage, classicradio.stream. That's classicradio.stream. Or search your favorite podcast app.
21: The House is expected to take up a big spending bill that was passed in the Senate. Senator Roger Marshall, Republican from Kansas, reacts to the Inflation Reduction Act, as it's being called, and the $80 billion that's being used to fund the
16: IRS.
3: This will disproportionately impact small businesses and people that don't
16: have lawyers and accountants uh, full-time within their offices as well. So once again,
3: Joe Biden is creating another tax. Just like inflation is a tax on, on middle-income, hard-working Americans as well, this will be another tax on hard-working Americans.
21: Vaccine volunteers are needed.
5: Volunteers are being sought in the U.S. and Europe to test the first potential vaccine against Lyme disease in 20 years. Cases are rising, and warming weather is helping ticks expand their habitat. A vaccine for people was pulled off the market in 2002 due to a lack of demand. That left bug spray and tick checks as the only options available to us humans. Dogs, on the other hand, well, they've long had a vaccine available to them. For USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns in New York.
21: The Detroit Lions will be the focus this NFL preseason as Hard Knocks gets set to debut on HBO Max. The series will follow the Lions as they prepare for the season and the second year under head coach Dan Campbell. Hard Knocks debuts on HBO Max Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. For USA Radio News, I'm Tim Berg.
1: That's 800-754-4531.
23: Rick Tittle knows his sports.
22: I hate that guy. I love that guy. Oh my gosh, he's so fine. Rick Tittle brings home the bacon, fries it up in a pan, and then he eats it. Ricky T in the hizzle for shizzle biznatch.
3: Thank you for that, welcome back to the program. We still have another couple hours to go. Paco Romaine is gonna be joining us, get the punchline here in the city. Also film director Michelle Danner, and her new movie is called The Runner. Uh, Travel issues have long plagued the WNBA. They have not been allowed to use charters. Former uh, Tittle guest, the commissioner, Kathy Engelbert said it would cost $20 million a year to charter flights. <clears throat> Even though the New York Times says ESPN gives the league twenty million per year, he said it would she said it would make the league go bankrupt. But this all came up because the other day the Los Angeles Sparks were stranded at Dulles after a game against the Mystics. And Nenka Ogmi Ogwukmike, uh whose sister was on the show once. Stanford player, uh, she was tweeted that they had to spend the night in the airport. By the way, she's the president of the union. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they had a flight that was supposed to get delayed, delayed, delayed. Then it was going to go at 1 a.m. and they got canceled until 9 a.m. And so there have been a lot of people uh, that have been complaining about no charters. Some teams want to do it, but they're not allowed. They don't want to have a competitive advantage, they said. And then... Um, Others have tweeted, you know, we're doing our part to stay healthy. We're wearing our masks, and the person sitting next to me has no mask. So how am I supposed to stay away from COVID on this plane right now? And so they do, uh, for the finals, they do supply charters to both teams. but, But that's it. And so... You know, I remember seeing Dave Stewart and the late, great Dave Henderson waiting for a plane at Oakland Airport when the A's flew commercial. Bash Brother years, they flew commercial. Everybody did. I think Mark Cuban was the first one to, like, buy his own jet for the Mavs. And then everybody started getting their own jet. But uh, not in the WNBA, which I didn't know. was. Why are they playing in the summer? Do they usually play in the summer? No. I thought they played the same time the NBA played. All right. 1-800-878-PLAY is the number to call. 1-800-878-7529. Uh, Twitter is at Rick Tittle, emails rick at sportsbyline.com, and CRN Digital Plus two, the cable radio network channel tune your cable provider and thirty-five million homes. I'm Rick Tittle, come on back.
17: Come on, you watch the news, be prepared to pay more taxes. Then if you owe back taxes or haven't filed in a few years, get ready. The IRS, the largest collection agency in the world, will be coming after you. With the power to collect taxes by any means they want to. Hey, they can freeze your bank account, your passport, even padlock your business. <laughs> Good times. Look, if the IRS claims you owe them 5000 or more in back taxes and they're coming after you, don't panic. Call my friends at Get a Tax Lawyer First. Their job is to negotiate with the IRS and save you money. They're experts at it. That's all they do. And you can trust them. In some cases, they have reduced a $50,000 tax bill to less than $1,000. If you owe the IRS 5,000 or more in back taxes, call now for a free consultation. Call 800-732-9635. 800-732-9635.
1: 800-732-9635. That's 800-732-9635. Pricing information, 800-915-9654, 800-915-9654, 800-915-9654, that's 800-915-9654.
19: Right now, sports betting is the fastest growing industry in the world. To consistently cash tickets at the sports books, it's best to be armed with the right plays from the best sports bettors in the business. That's what you'll get at AgainstTheNumber.com. At AgainstTheNumber.com, you'll get specialists with decades of experience betting multiple sports at a high level and many sports specific packages from the NFL to college basketball to cricket to soccer to the European tour that gives you a consistent edge on the sports book. For a highly skilled, reasonably priced team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing, and one thing only, beating the books at their own game. Visit AgainstTheNumber.com. That's AgainstTheNumber.com.
6: Chitillating sports
3: Thank you for that. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tuttle with you nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on American Forces Radio Network. It's 11:12. This is when we check in with one of the prognosticators over at againstthenumber.com and they are <clears throat> a highly skilled team of premium sports handicappers focused on one thing and one thing only, beating the sports books at their own game. They cover every sport worldwide from the NFL to college basketball to soccer to cricket to tennis to European hockey and all of them are proven winners. They offer full season, end of current season, one month, one week, one day, and one year specialist-specific packages. Their prices are reasonable, their tracking and distribution process is simple, and their results are real. Joining us again is Tom Viola to talk a little bit about the Premier League. And um, Tom, as the uh, season begins, of course, there are 37 more games to go, but kind of like in college football, if you lose a game, that can really come back to bite you. So in, uh, in your mind, how important was the tie that Liverpool ended up having?
12: Uh, I think that's an incredibly important result, especially for Fulham. I don't think anyone expected them to be able to come out of the gate and play the way they did. Who knows? They could surprise and manage to stay up. Who knows? Maybe not finish in a relegation fight this season. But for Liverpool, like you said... It's going to be so important for the entire season that you pick up as many points as possible because we expect it to be a two-horse race between Man City and Liverpool once again. And Man City came out of the gate looking dominant. They have the depth to rotate the squad for a Champions League run. I'm already a little worried about this Liverpool side. Sadio Mane is gone. Mo Salah is another year older. If the younger guys, Minamino, Jota, don't, step up, and fill in those roles at the same exact level, which is very hard to do, be it Salah and Mane are two of the best in the world, it could be a lot tougher for Liverpool this year than people were expecting.
3: Speaking of Liverpool, at Everton, of course, they're building a new stadium down by the, the water, but they barely stayed up by the skin of their teeth last season. Frank Lampard stayed as gaffer, but they sold Richarlison to a tot- Tottenham as a depth piece, and so they went in to their season putting the young midfielder Anthony Gordon up as the striker, you know, with Gray and, and McNeil. Did they, I mean, they obviously didn't do enough, but if you're a, a fan of the Toffees, what-, what is your outlook outside of just trying to stay up again?
12: Well, I actually am a fan of the Toffees and my outlook going into the season was incredibly bleak. I looked at the same thing you did. I said, we lost for Charleston. We don't have an, we, we don't have really any replacement that we brought in to uh, of note. And then you go into this game in week in week one and you lose Godfrey, one of your main center backs, Yeri Mina gets injured as well. And, The team still played with a lot of fight. I like, I I like what they're doing up top. I think Anthony Gordon is going to be a very good player for this team this year. He's been a bright, he was a bright spot last year and I think he's going to continue to ascend. You've got Dominic Calvert in the win back. He was mostly absent for last season and I think that that was a very big issue for why their attack suffered so much and Macarlison had to do so much. But, now, all of a sudden, they're doing something very weird for Everton as we head into the uh, closing of the transfer window. They're making good signings. Amadou Onana, I like him coming over. I love, love, love bringing Gana Gay back from PSG, where he had left Everton to go join for a few seasons. He's still a fantastic midfielder who would be a huge addition to get back to this team. They're making good signings right now, and I think that their home form is going to be good enough that they're going to be able to win enough games. There are enough bad teams below them. I think this team maybe doesn't finish top half, but I think we could see them finish 11th or 12th right in that neighborhood and avoid a relegation fight again.
3: It's crazy to, for me to think that Forrest was down for so long. They just were always an ever-present for me. And then to think back, it's like 20 years since they've been out of the prem. uh what about the tricky trees staying up? Because when you look, through, I know they threw Lingard into the midfield, but uh, there's still a lot of quote-unquote uh, no names as they try to stay in the prem.
12: Yeah, I've got to say it's shocking for a team that is actually a Champions League winner. They they have such a historic pedigree in Nottingham. I don't think that it happens though. I think they're one of the three that's going to be going down this year. I have them. Uh, I have them with Wolves, and I honestly. I had Fulham going back down, and now I'm I'm rethinking that. Leeds got a good win this week, but they could still be a candidate to get the drop. And Southampton is a team that I have very low hopes for this season.
3: Yeah, do, do we know what happened with Marsh and the the Wolves guy at the end of that match? That seemed like there was a little bit of uh, did he not shake his hand or something?
12: I I think that's what happened. I, I I'm honestly not sure.
3: Yeah. All right, well let's let's talk about um, you know Newcastle too because they are the richest club in the world. If you look at their their ownership, they stayed up not at the last minute, but uh, you know there's no doubt that say Max Amann is a good player, uh, Willick is good, uh, Joel Hilton, when he's going around, and then in the back there are some guys there. Char Trippier comes back from um, Madrid uh, and via Tottenham. Uh, I like the kid Pope in between the the pipes i think you know target is good as a left back but but do you think that that newcastle has enough to finish top half is what i'm trying to say
12: i think that the, i think top half is a reasonable expectation for them i think that like you said that money is going to talk and as they get in line with what they want this team to look like and how much cash that they're going to spend because let's face it, this ownership group did not buy this team to watch them flounder and fight in relegation battles. I think that this is going to be a Chelsea effect where you're going to see someone like Roman Abramovich did come in and just spend boatloads of money like you see Chelsea, like you see Man City do. This team will finish top half this year, and I think in the winter transfer window, you're going to see them continue to add more and more talent. They're only going to get better.
3: We look at Tottenham, who are top of the table after their uh, win. And, of course, they were top after three weeks last uh, season with uh, Nuno there. They won three games, won nothing. And, of course, they had to fire him and go out and get Conte. But they, they finished well. They finished strong. They got in the Champions League on the last day. And for the first time since I can remember, and I've been a fan of this team since the 80s, they have some real depth, and they bring in Basuma and Perisic, and we mentioned Richarlison, and none of those guys even started, and still Tottenham ran rampant over Soetan. So, do you think this is a year that that Tottenham can actually press the Man Cities of the world?
12: I mean, you never want to predict that, as, as you well know. Tottenham loves to be uh, loves to be as Spursy as possible. I call them the Jets of the Premier League almost because they just they just love to get your hopes up just a tiny bit and then let you down. But I, I'm with you. I, it's hard to pick something out about this team that I don't like. You've still got Harry Kane. You've still got Hungman's son. And like you said, they have just added depth piece upon depth piece. They brought in Antonio Conte as their coach. So it's not like this team has anything that you can complain about. i there's a reason some people are picking them as their dark horse for the Champions League, and honestly, if Liverpool continues to struggle and find uh, find find themselves having a harder time this season, there's no reason why Tottenham can't be that team to compete, in the, it, even for the title with Man City. I'm not saying that they could realistically win it, but I completely agree with you. They could push.
3: There he is, Tom Viola. Check him out and all his friends and all sports. Prognostication at againstthenumber.com. Tom, good stuff. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, I'm Rick Tittle. We'll take a quick break. We'll come on back with Paco Romaine.
8: you'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us. We'll offer you a money-back guarantee. If you're ready to start losing weight right now, call right now to learn more about your risk-free order to Body Sculpt.
1: Call for your risk-free offer. 800-738-5332, 800-738-5332, 800-738-5332, 800-738-5332, that's 800-738-5332. That's 800-943-2153. You
23: can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious!
11: Rick Tittle is a majestic stallion.
3: Uh, some doubt in your voice there. Welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you coast to coast and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. Very happy now to be joined by the hilarious stand-up Paco Romain. He is in town at the Punchline. He's there tonight, and he's no stranger to that club. Paco, it's good to have you on. And I remember seeing you there one time in the one-line that you said that stuck with me. You said, I'm from the racist part of Michigan called Michigan.
2: Yeah, the redneck racist part of Michigan called Michigan. That's Yeah, that's my home. <laughs> well, at least that's where I grew up.
3: Um,
2: yeah, where I grew up I'm in southwest Michigan, that's like a chief export is redneck <laughs> redneckness
0: of
3: this. Now, of course, you know, especially, you know, I'm in my 50s and I grew up with Paco Robin, the... You know, the cologne. So, how many people call yes. you Paco Roman?
2: Uh, you know, it would it's, it's surprise you to learn a lot, actually. Um, but, like, people, sometimes people are like, Paco Roman. I'm like, once you meet me, you'll never confuse me with something that smells good ever again. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to, sometimes people also like romaine, they think lettuce, which is not right. something I generally eat either.
3: <laughs> and it's spelled differently than that romaine, there's no I, yeah.
2: Yeah, thank you. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Um, I know uh, this funny Todd Glass compared you to Eddie Pepitone, which is a great compliment, and I I can see that. I'm sure you can see that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great compliment. Eddie Pepitone's a genius. I mean, that man is brilliant. I am not, you know, I am certainly not a genius or, like, iconic like Eddie, but I certainly yell a lot, so I think that might be the comparison.
3: Now you are a uh, Michigan guy, but you're also you've been in the Bay Area for a long, long time, and you rock a lot of the Warriors' garb, and you've hung out with Klay Thompson and others. Uh, What is it about the the, the dubs that speaks to you?
2: Oh man, do we have enough time for this? Mm, Sure. I love I love the Warriors, and like I I grew up in Michigan, so I grew up a Pistons fan Mm -hmm. and a Lions fan, which meant basically for me just every year just losing and crying and being like, next year is our year, you know, especially if you're a Lions fan. So when I moved out to San Francisco, I was really excited to be a Niners fan and a Warriors fan. And the Warriors were so bad mm-hmm. for so long. Like, I'm talking Biedron's, Bobby Sierra, you know, just horrible players. And then when they got good, like, I, I was a fan since 97 when I moved out here until today. And when they finally got Steph and Clay and those guys, and it seemed like we had a chance, then I was all on board hundred percent,
3: yeah, I've been a warrior fan my whole life being from the East Bay, and they won the whole thing when I was ten, and then I had to wait for till I was fifty for them to win it again.
2: yeah, you know the pain, I mean, and that's why like now people are like, "Oh, like warriors fans, they suck, and they're just too much, and it's like you don't understand the pain we went through forever. I mean, I've only been a fan for 20-some years. You've been a fan forever. Like, it's a lot of, like, sitting through horrible games. I don't know if do you remember when you could buy tickets for, like, five bucks on Market Street to Warrior games?
3: Oh, you could just walk right into the Coliseum, like, getting on a bus, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was like you, you, they would rip off a page of tickets uh, out of a booklet in, on Market Street to go see Warriors in, like, the mid-early 2000s, mid-2000s. <laughs> and, you know, like... It was like, oh, it's a cheap day. You can go to the Coliseum, get a dollar beer, five dollar ticket, and watch them lose to the Kings or something. You know, and so, you can see a Donald
3: and Von Tigo Cummings.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Good old Donald. Like, and then and then you can see the Mavericks just beat up on them for a while or whatever. And you know, it was a, it was a day of fun. And then, like, I, I got to do that Adobe commercial with Clay. I spent probably 10 hours with Clay and Harrison Barnes. And it was like a dream come true because Clay is Clay is my favorite Warriors player. And mm-hmm. that was right before their first championship in 2015. And it was it was like a dream come true for me to just spend the day talking basketball with Clay and Harrison.
3: A couple of questions for Paco Romain. He's at the Punchline tonight down here on Battery Street. Uh, the Punchline, you've been going there for so long, and there are so many greats that have come through there. And the, the first one that pops into my mind is Robin Williams, who, who you knew, what was that relationship like?
2: Yeah, I did. Uh, I mean, so yeah, Robin, I, I met my story with Robin's kind of, it's kind of nuts. I worked at this bookstore on hate street and Robin used to come in all the time. And this is before I did standup. Uh, and I wanted to be an actor and I, I used to talk to him about it and he was like, just do it. Just jump in. Don't have a plan, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, my boss would tell me, hey, like the celebrity clientele is for me to talk to, like, don't talk to. And I was like, oh, but it's Robin Williams. Well, I ended up like taking his advice and auditioning for a comedy play that was at the Marsh. Um, and Robin came to the play. He was there on opening night. Wow. And then like he, I, my, my, my character that I did would improvise with the audience after the intermission. And I went up to Robin. And I was improvising with him, and he got on stage with me wow. and was improvising with me and the audience as well. And this is my hero. Like, I loved Robin when I was a kid, and he's one of the reasons I moved to San Francisco to be a comedian and an actor. So to have him come up on stage with me, and also he was doing my character's voice with me, with the audience, and pretending he was my brother. It was crazy. And I remember just standing in the back of the stage, and like the hair on my arm was standing up, and then the manager of the theater brought the house lights up so that everybody could see, because Robin was in the audience, and I looked, and about 10 rows in was my boss, mm. who had said that I can't talk to any of the celebrities, and wow. I was like, look who gets to talk to Robin Williams now.
3: That's so, yeah, so awesome.
2: It is, yeah, and then Rob, I used to have a show at the make-out room that Robin would come to and do some sets, and um, yeah, so I got to know him, you know, fairly well, but not like, we weren't like close friends, but close enough and that was a dream come true as well
3: i also imagine like featuring for norm what was that guy like in the green room
2: <laughs> oh man norm r.i.p to both of those guys norm was the best like norm was literally the same off stage as he was on stage just like that wry sensey humor that little twinkle in his eye you know he was always up for some shenanigans and just being in the green room with him was amazing because like he was my favorite weekend update host
10: and oh, right.
2: that dude would talk about SNL. Like a lot of those guys, they don't really want to, they don't really talk about their past or SNL or, you know, I think they might think it might be bragging or something, but Norm would talk about anything. And you could talk to him about when he got fired for the OJ Simpson stuff. He would talk about that, <laughs> you know, like he would open up. And he, he used to watch my set and give me, you know some tips, and I ended up going on the road with him for a while. But R- R- Norm was awesome. He is an awesome guy and very smart, super smart. I'm very funny, obviously.
3: We used to have a um, a girl that, a young lady, I should say, that worked here named uh, Lisa Ingemanson, and she was in Killing My Lobster. Did you mm-hmm. ever do any sketches with Lisa back in the day?
2: I know of Lisa. No, that was. I think she was a, maybe a little. Before. For my time. She was around
3: 2001, I, I think.
2: Yeah. So I started in 2003. And okay. I do remember her name. I remember seeing some pictures of her. My first year with Killing My Lobster was 2003. Um, so I never did any sketches with them, but or with her, rather. But um, I do remember her name. And, like, being in Killing My Lobster was was so much fun. I don't know if you ever got to see any of those shows. Oh, yeah. I went over there. there
3: was, like on in, the yeah. mission, in the Mission, right? Yeah.
2: Yep, in the Mission. Yeah, they, uh, they had shows all over the Mission. Um, yeah, they didn't really have a theater, that their own theater, but they were doing shows all over San Francisco.
3: So tonight at the Punchline, what are people in store for?
2: Yeah, gosh, please, it's going to be fun. So please come down to the Punchline tonight at 8 p.m. Um, I'm going to just like, you know, I have a lot of new stuff I want to talk about that's been on my mind, uh, including a recent breakup. <laughs> so That's always mm-hmm. fun. And then um you know I'm just going to have a lot of fun it's going to be it's going to be a really good show and and uh, for people who haven't seen me I do a lot of like improvising and I do a lot of uh, crowd work and just like talk from my heart a lot of autobiographical stuff like like I said Robin was my was my idol and he's kind of who I kind of like base my comedy off of so it's a lot of stream of consciousness stuff you know so it's going to be a lot of fun
3: very very cool and then finally any new commercials coming out
2: no, I don't have any new commercials, but I do have uh, a Pixar movie. I do a lot of voiceovers, so wow. I just did a, a Pixar movie that's, um, I'm not sure when it's coming out, and I'm not even sure what the title is. They don't really tell you that <laughs> stuff until, until it happens, So, but uh, it's going to be fun, and it's going to hopefully be out in the next year or so, but um, that's, that's what I got in the works uh, as far as like acting goes.
3: Very good. All right, it is Paco Romaine and uh, a legend in Michigan and the Bay Area. See him tonight <laughs> at the punchline uh, right down here, as I mentioned, on uh, Battery Street, the world-famous uh, punchline. And uh, Paco, yeah. good to have you on, man. Good stuff.
2: Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Rick. I really appreciate it.
3: All right, no doubt. Yeah, I remember that commercial uh, that he did with Harrison Barnes and uh, Clay Thompson. They're on this little playground, and he's wearing... A sleeveless shirt Paco is with glasses and a headband and every time he you know you're looking kind of short and pudgy and every time he takes a shot it just gets uh completely rejected and then there's this office setting where Clay Thompson and Harrison Barnes are like taking they're in suits at cubicles and they're taking uh pis- pieces of paper and balling them up and trying to throw them and they're missing the uh the recycle can every time by like five feet and then uh, Paco Romaine uh, steps in and uh, shows him uh, how it's done. It's pretty funny. It's a good little recycling. I remember Sharunus Marshallinus did one for us. That was that uh, Steve Albert said recycling. He shops, he pops, he drops, and then Marshallinus goes take this mud shot, recycle, recycle. Come on back.
0: Call today and ask about our buy one get one free offer.
1: 800-761-9334 800-761-9334 800-761-9334. That's 800-761-9334.
16: It doesn't really matter. I uh, I don't like my
1: job and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore.
11: Tittle thinks there's a direct correlation between dogs and lightning.
3: All right, thank you for that, and welcome back to the show. Rick Tittle with you, nationally syndicated out of San Francisco and around the world on the American Forces Radio Network. There's a brand-new movie coming out digital and on-demand on the 23rd and in theaters on the 19th, and it's called The Runner. Everyone's looking for a way out. The director of that film is Michelle Danner who joins us right now. Michelle, welcome to the show. Could you tell us a little bit about the plot, please?
24: Thank you so much for having me. Well, The Runner is about this kid that is forced to go undercover by police enforcement so he can capture the big drug lord of the town so they can bring down this whole, you know, uh, net of selling the drug. And um, this kid gets tied up into some really dangerous, um, circumstances, and, uh, and we follow his journey in a day as he tries to find a way to get himself out of the precarious situation he's in.
3: And this is a situation he's in because his mother turns him in?
24: Uh, his mother turned him in for a little misdemeanor. He was doing, you know, some pot in school. And that, you know, one step catapulted into another step, and everything turned out to be a big mess that hopefully will be entertaining to watch.
3: (laughs) Stylistically, I mean, we all take from our mentors and the people that we look up to. Do you have a certain style, or do you kind of change every movie?
24: Um, I think my consistent style as a filmmaker has been to be very collaborative with the actors and uh what i'm interested in uh is choices that they make in their character in the scenes that i think you know just illuminate the story the script and uh, and help tell the story in a more unique way
3: and then also i know it's probably what's the scorsese quote he said um Oh yeah, he said movies aren't finished, they're abandoned. How hard is it for you to leave something out, or maybe regret leaving a piece of the movie that was still in it?
24: You know, I'm very thorough, so I really give it its due. I have a very strong process with it. I haven't yet experienced the movie uh, that I've gone, oh God, there's more to do, but I gotta let it go. I haven't done that. I've given it my all. Now, That's not to be said that, you know, years later you don't watch something and you go, hmm, could have done this, could have done that. But it has nothing to do with the completion of the editing of the movie or the post-production. It more has to do with, you know, I could have done that with the story, but I didn't shoot it, so it wasn't that movie.
3: Also, I think about the editing process. Do you you sit in the edit bay or do you just kind of find out like the rest of us?
24: Oh, no, no. I'm very hands-on with every aspect of filmmaking. I just finished doing a movie uh, in the East Coast, Miranda's Victim, and I picked every background person. I picked all the babies, the children, all the props. I pick everything. I'm very, very hands-on in terms of what my final vision is and what I'd like to, you know, for it to be on the screen.
3: How about the effort between you and the writer and also the actors? They're experienced actors, and maybe they want to... Uh get a little collaborative, maybe switch it up? Or do you think, no, it's storyboarded, we have to stick with what we have?
24: No, no. The collaboration with the actors is very important. I've had storyboards in all my movies, and that storyboard is just, it's it's a blueprint for something that is an inspiration. It doesn't mean you adhere to it. You know, in the moment of execution, uh, somebody comes up with a great idea, the actor says, you know, what if, let's do this, and Unless it really goes against what the movie is about, what the vision is, then you have to fight for it. But usually, if you've hired really good actors that know how to do their work, their ideas, 99% of the time, are great.
3: No doubt. We have a couple more questions from Michelle Danner, the director of the new movie, The Runner. Um, Years ago, I had on the show uh, Elizabeth Room and uh, she's a fantastic actress. Um, what was it like to, to work with her? She's so multinational and talented.
24: Oh, she's just a joy to work with. She's, you know, incredibly professional. She comes to the set really prepared. She pays attention to detail. She really cares, you know. In the last few years, she's directed her own movies. Uh, not only she's a wonderful actress, but a wonderful director. And uh, I hope to collaborate with her again in the future. She's she's pretty astounding.
3: What was the one part of this movie, like if you just, not to spoil it, but the one part of the movie that if you had, uh, you know, just five minutes to show that you're most proud of, maybe the most gripping part?
24: Um, well, I love the fact that I was able to get a crane on the beach when the tide was really high. <laughs> And the stairs were very narrow, and we found a way to get that crane, to get that beautiful shot at the end of the movie, where he runs across the ocean, and the camera keeps going high and high and high and high. And uh, that was an important shot for me. And so I'm, so it's a beautiful shot, and so I'm really happy we got that.
3: So the synopsis, this privileged teenager, uh, Aiden, um, he tries to make a deal with the police to sort of infiltrate a drug dealer, and then he tries to uh, back out. Uh, how how was it that you had to find just the right guy for for Aiden?
24: Well, Aiden was studying at my school, my acting school, my conservatory, uh, and uh, he was doing a scene one night when all the lights went out. By the way, in the block, so I asked the students to hold their phones up, and so <laughs> it was very special. And he did a scene that really like galvanized me, and I thought, well, wow, he's the perfect perfect actor to play Aiden. So I gave him the script, and he loved it, and the rest is history. We actually got to shoot it right before the lockdown, and, and we were going to postpone it one month, and if we had postponed it, we would have never shot this movie. So it was actually a miracle. We got into the elevator when the door was closing, and uh, and we made it happen.
3: And this is Edouard Philipponat, is that how you say it?
24: Yeah, you said the name very well, Edouard Philipponat, that's right.
3: Yeah, French, Finnish, grew up in Sweden, Switzerland, <laughs> pretty pretty much got the, the Euro, uh, the full gamut, huh?
24: Yeah, he's very European, and we spoke French together. So that was helpful. We had a shorthand in French.
3: Oh, very well. And then, uh, final question for you, um, uh, you know, what's next? You talked about your film.
24: Well, I'm in, I'm in post right now. I'm editing this uh, movie called Miranda's Victim about the Miranda rights. The story's never been told, about the unique perspective of the victim. And I had a cast, like you would not believe, Donald Sutherland and Andy Garcia and Tom McLaughlin and Ryan Phillippe and Luke Wilson. Wow. Abigail Breslin played the lead. Emily Van Camp, Joshua Bowman, Nolan Gold. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Mireille and us. Like a truly, uh, an incredible cast. Came and got excited about this story that's never been told. And so I'm editing it. I shot it on film, as opposed to, you know, HD. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really, really thrilled about this movie, the way that I am thrilled about The Runner. But, you know, The Runner, I did it a few years back, and now it's like, you know, I gave birth to it, and now it's, people are meeting, you know, the child. It's, it's out there. It's going to be out there in the world in a few weeks. And, uh, and now it's like I'm birthing another movie.
3: All right. Make sure to see The Old Baby, The Runner, and that'll exactly. be available on the 19th in theaters and digital VOD August 23rd was speaking with director Michelle Danner. Michelle, merci beaucoup.
24: Merci beaucoup. Thank you.
3: All right. No doubt. 1 800 878 play. Something I wanted to get to, um, and I've never talked more about golf than I have in the last month with this live tour. Do we know what live stands for? I thought it was Roman numerals. We still don't know. But the, the first. PGA postseason event ostensibly starts Thursday in Memphis, but the FedEx playoffs are actually going to begin today in a California courtroom when a judge temporarily rules in the ongoing battle between the PGA and Liv. Because ahead of the proceedings, the PGA Tour filed a motion in response to a recent lawsuit filed by Liv golfers trying to get entry into that FedEx Cup playoffs. And the PGA said in court here, Despite knowing full well they would breach tour regulations and be suspended for doing so, plaintiffs have joined competing golf league Live Golf, which has paid them tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in guaranteed money supplied by the Saudi Arabian government's wealth fund to procure all their breaches. Temporary restraining order plaintiffs now run into court seeking a mandatory injunction to force their way into the tour's season-ending FedEx, FedEx Cup playoffs, an action that would harm all tour members that follow the rules. The antitrust laws do not allow plaintiffs to have their cake and eat it too, end quote. Now, the details of this lawsuit is 106 pages, and it was filed by 11 live golfers last week. Against the PGA Tour, it's very complicated, but the premise is pretty simple. Three live golfers, Matt Jones, Taylor Gooch, and Hudson Swafford, qualified and may want to play in the FedEx Cup playoffs over the next three weeks, and the PGA Tour is trying to keep them out because they breached their contracts. And the end result could be that event in Memphis, which will include 128 golfers instead of the usual 125. And in the suit filed by the 11 golfers, the FedEx playoffs were a primary concern. And whether they're actually to play this week or not, it's the FedEx St. Jude Championship at TPC Southwind. The total purse is $15 million. The temporary restraining order on the PGA's ban of live golfers from all their postseason events is going to get decided today. In uh, here in Northern California. And the timing here is very curious and important because the 11 players filed against the Tour last week knowing that a decision would be made almost immediately for the FedEx uh, Cup playoffs, and then that would likely benefit them as a temporary restraining order, and that could prove more effective in the short term. And, and that, that exactly how is Ian Poulter and Justin Harding and Adrian Otegi, they all played in the Scottish Open even though they were suspended from it. Because they got that restraining order. The RO and the PGA Tour Commissioner, Jay Monaghan, called the timing of the letter. uh, He just called it out. He just said that, you know, they waited, paraphrase, he said that, you know, they waited two months and then they fabricated an emergency that needs immediate action and it's a bunch of BS. So it's become pretty clear that the PGA Tour players are mostly ambivalent about their colleagues leaving to join the the golf league. They are extremely displeased that the same ones who took these contracts from Saudi Arabia's public investment fund are trying to double dip. And if you um, look at the quote from the PGA, Liv is not a rational economic actor competing fairly to start a golf tour. It is prepared to lose billions of dollars to leverage plaintiffs And the sport of golf to sportswash the Saudi Ravens government deplorable reputations for human rights abuses. If plaintiffs are allowed to breach their tour contracts without consequence, the entire mutually beneficial structure of the tour an arrangement that has grown the sport and promoted the interests of golfers going back to Arna Palmer and Jack Nicholas would collapse. And then we also heard this weekend that Tiger uh, Woods turned down 700 to 800 million dollars from joining, which is the most money anyone has ever turned down for any reason. I'm Rick Tittle. Come on back.
11: 33% sure Rick Tittle is the father of my child, but I'm 100% sure Rick Tittle is a jackass.
3: Ah, uh, it's messed up. By the way, it's been over a month since Kevin Durant requested a trade, just hours before her free agency began from the Brooklyn Nets. And now, as we get closer to training camp, I mean, he's reiterated he wants to be traded and basically said. If you don't trade me, then Steve Nash and Sean Marks, the GM, the coach and GM, have to go. And he has no faith in the franchise's direction. And he talked to the owner, Stephen Tsai, T S A I. And Tsai tweeted last night, Our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interests of the Brooklyn Nets, unquote. So basically telling Durant that you're not in charge, uh, they are. And Nash, two years, back-to-back winning seasons. Um, He has been heavily criticized, just like anybody would be in New York. There were reports that the way he coached was the reason James Harden wanted out. But as it pertains to Marks, it's difficult to exactly see what issues Durant has uh, in him. Uh, But, I mean, like so far in this offseason, they added Royce O'Neill, T.J. Warren. They re-signed Patty Mills, St. Mary's. They're waiting for Joe Harris and Ben Simmons to get healthy if Ben Simmons is going to do anything. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of times, like LeBron, he runs the teams he's on, and we'll see how much that works in New Jersey for Durant. All right, thanks for tuning in. Be back tomorrow at 9 a.m. for another edition of Lightning Sports.